Hi, I'm Chip, and welcome to the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, concentrated commentary on the worlds of Doctor Who, except when it's not concentrated. This is the last of our interview series that was recorded at Gallifrey One in Los Angeles, and this is, if you'll forgive the expression, a State of the Hoonian Address. So, coming out of the big 50th anniversary gala and the regeneration of Matt Smith into Peter Capaldi, it's been a really, really, really big year for Doctor Who. For us, at least. We're fans, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. What about the rest of the world? What does the rest of the world think about Doctor Who? Because in the final analysis, it's not us. It's the casual viewers that determine the future of Doctor Who. Is Doctor Who's health as robust as you would think after such incredible things as the global simultaneous release in theaters of the 50th anniversary special? I think so, but let's find out for sure. Let's talk to Keith Topping, broadcaster, blogger, critic, and, of course, longtime Doctor Who fan and writer. And let's also talk to Jason Snell from the Incomparable podcast, which takes a broad look at pop culture, but they've got a big interest in Doctor Who as well. So let's see how the not-we and the we-but-not-as-crazy-as-we think of Doctor Who. First up, Keith Topping. I'm with Keith Topping, a longtime uh, writer, television critic, broadcaster, and blogger. Keith Telly Topping, as it is. Uh, and a uh, longtime history as a Doctor Who writer and fan since how long ago? Well, fan since about 1968 when I first saw Fury from the Deep. But um, I mean, I joined fandom. I guess a lot of us did. A lot of the, the guys who went on to write for Virgin and for the BBC. Um, probably in the early 1980s, we began writing for fanzines. I used to write critique, critique and uh, fan fiction. Um, but I was first published in the early 90s together with um, Paul Cornell and Martin Day. We wrote a, a book for Guinness called the Classic, uh, the Book of Classic British Television. It's kind of an encyclopedia. Um, and it was one of the first books that sort of included a fan's view of television rather than a very journalistic view. And then the first Doctor Who book I had published was The Discontinuity Guide, uh, again with Paul and Martin, and that was 1995. And that was kind of a, it, a pedant's guide to all of the mistakes and jokes and good lines of dialogue and what bits they had ripped off from which source texts in Doctor Who and it was a lot of fun to write and it's now available again on uh, Kindle so um, if you want to check it out on Amazon um, the royalties will eventually come my way. (laughs) Now um, as a frequent observer of British television you have a perspective on Doctor Who you love the show you know the show intimately but you also have the context with other shows Um, how is Doctor Who doing as a television property in a, in a world of broad church and everything else. Doctor Who's immediate future and, and mid to long term has never been safer than it is right now. Let me put this in, in very simple terms. Um, nothing is forever in television and even quite successful shows can get cancelled for one reason or another. There are three television programmes that the BBC make that w- without which they would probably have to close down BBC Two or, or one of the, the national radio stations. One is um, Strictly Come Dancing, which you will know as Dancing with the Stars, um, which is basically um, sold to just about every country around the world so they can make their own local format and the BBC get paid for that. Another is Top Gear, the very popular motoring show, which is sold to just about every country in the world um, and is the most successful programme probably in the world. Not the most viewed, but the most widely spread. Uh, and the next one is Doctor Who. And those 
three are kind of they call them the super brands effectively they make more money for the BBC than they cost but not just a little bit they, they make more money than lots of programmes cost um, so, so Doctor Who in terms of its overseas sales in terms of its merchandising um, makes a fantastic amount of money for the BBC so when, whenever anybody says um, oh well last season the, uh, the audience dropped by a million I mean we can actually argue about figures because uh, the way in which people consume television is changing rapidly and, and possibly a little bit too quickly for a lot of the media but anyway you know oh last season only got averages of 8 million rather than 9 million the year before does, does that mean it's going to get cancelled no it's not I, I, I can't say in 20 years time it won't but certainly any time in the next 10 years if there is not a series of Doctor Who on BBC television I will be very surprised and a lot of people will be out of work so it's, it's always amazed me that as popular as Doctor Who becomes that Doctor Who fans are so used to disaster that they, they, they expect it to go away any moment now somebody once said it's not my lane but I'm going to use it somebody once said Doctor Who fans often resemble rescued dogs in so much as because they perceive that they've been treated badly in the past they imagine it's going to happen every time you know um no it, it, it isn't going to happen anytime so as i say nothing is ever forever in television um but the, it, it, you know if i had to write down on a piece of paper now 10 programs that the bbc make that are still going to be here in 10 years time i can't say that about sherlock because as successful as it is i don't know whether benedict cumberbatch and martin freeman are still going to want to do it in 10 years they've said that they will um i can't even say it about eastenders you know the longest running continuous drama that the bbc do because it's renewed on a year-by-year basis it probably will be because it's one of the most popular soap operas in britain but i can't say for definite it'll be there in 10 years time i'm pretty sure I can say that about Doctor Who. Americans, we get spoiled by our structure where we get 22 episodes on average of most television shows. Doctor Who gets less than that. And also, as you just said, the, the money that Doctor Who makes much of it gets funneled back into the BBC to support other programs. What kind of stress does that put on BBC Wales, on Cardiff, as they try to make this show, I I sometimes get the sense that they're making an increasingly popular show with less and less money. Yeah, I mean, I think their individual budgets have more or less did the same. Unfortunately, the BBC got imposed upon them um, about two or three years ago a particularly harsh deal um, with the government that was done. It was rushed through very quickly. I noticed a a former director general just this last week was saying that if everybody had known at the time you know what what the implications of this deal were i think a lot of people would have raised further objections effectively the bbc lost 16 percent of its overall budget now that doesn't mean that every individual program loses 16 percent of its budget but somewhere along the line a program that for instance may used to make 13 episodes a year and there aren't actually that many of those in britain um most runs of six or eight, in terms of drama anyway six or eight or or something like that sure look that's three for goodness sake although they are three movies but um, but Doctor Who is still a, a 13 or 14, or next year it's going to be probably 13 with the Christmas episode. I'm still not 100% sure on this. but um, So that should mean, in effect, if you're losing 16% of your budget, you have the same money to make 13 or 14 episodes that you would have had the previous year to make 12 or 13. You've kind of lost you know, an episode. So somewhere along the line you have to make a cheap one. Um, 
but it doesn't quite work like that. Um, some programmes have lost more money than others. Some departments have lost more money than others. A lot of um, situation comedies aren't getting made now because comedy panel shows are cheaper. Um, they use you know less studio space and less resources and less writers as well. Um, so whilst Doctor Who's budgets have sort of remained constant, normally they would have gone up to, to um, uh, match inflation. They kind of haven't. So I, I understand what you mean. In effect, yes, they are making more or less the same amount for possibly slightly less money in real terms. But that's the boat that everybody's in, unfortunately. At the moment. You know, we are in the middle of a, a very horrible recession um, and it's affected television in much the same way that it's affected an awful lot of life you know we wish it hadn't but uh, publishing's a particular one actually but that's that's another story entirely yeah. does this explain why we had so many split seasons uh, in the last couple of years no actually the elephant in the room in terms of that sorry that's a Sherlock joke isn't it um, is that the one the thing that everybody has forgotten about 2012 which is the first year with was the Olympics the Olympics occurred slap bang in the middle of summer in Britain and effectively took over BBC One for well not just the sort of three weeks of the Olympics but kind of a week either side as well so there were sort of five weeks in the year when they would they would have been having all sorts of television programs a lot of which were shunted onto BBC Two the kind of the continuous things like EastEnders but a lot of them series that would have started in that gap were either pushed forward or backwards um, now Doctor Who would normally have started that year at least part of the season would have been shown in June it wasn't it was held back until later in the year and I think that was why at least in part the decision was made to split the season um, and there were also you know Matt Smith had other stuff to do uh, you know again this is this is something that Doctor Who fans have this curious view that um, you know the, the Doctor Who exists in a bubble and the rest of the world outside it is something entirely different you know remember all of these people have other jobs as well um, Stephen Moffat and Mark is right for Sherlock for instance uh, so I think the split seasons were kind of a necessity to allow various other things various exterior things to be done and various real world things to intrude upon it you know I, I kept on seeing people online saying, oh you know we've lost a full season no you haven't you know all that's happened is the gaps between seasons have got a little bit longer they're still making exactly the same number of episodes they normally would have it's just it was shown a little bit later but then again you know we are not entitled to 40 new episodes of Doctor Who every year wish we were but we're not you know um, and it, it, I, I always say that um, whenever anybody talks to me about um, you know the, the way the BBC is structured I want to see 13 or 14 great Doctor Who episodes every year and I do realise this costs I don't know how much Peter Capaldi um, is, is going to be on but I imagine it's not an inconsiderable amount of money I don't want to see those same 13 or 14 episodes every year made but with Barry Chuckle as the Doctor because he's cheaper um, you know cheaper isn't always better in fact it very seldom is so uh, last question for you is what are your expectations for the coming season with Peter Capaldi and I'd like to, you to put on your TV critics hat as well as your fans hat Oh, I think it's going to be great. I mean, Peter Capaldi is an actor whose career I've followed since 1983. And I, I can genuinely hand on heart say that. I saw Local Hero, which was one of, the, I think, it was his first role, actually. He was still in college at the time when he made it. And it was just at the... I was just starting to get into Doctor Who fandom in those days, and it was kind of... I'd started to collect actors. You know, you'd look at an actor and you think, oh, he'd be very good in... And there were two actors in Local Hero that I thought, oh, he'd be good in Doctor Who. One was Peter Capaldi, 
who was then 23 and playing a very comic character, very gawky and long-haired. So the other one was Dennis Lawson, who unfortunately we've never had, but he's still around and you know he's in new tricks at the moment. So hope springs eternal. Uh, you know he'll crop up sometime during the next couple of years. Scottish as well, of course. But Capaldi is one of those actors I've watched over the years, and everything he's been in, I've always really enjoyed him. He had a long period of playing. Um, quite psychotic guest villains in British crime drama like Waking the Dead and a particularly fine Ruth Rendell mysteries and a particularly good um, uh, prime suspect and he was also in you know now half forgotten shows like Selling Hitler and a series called The Chain which I highly recommend if you can find that on YouTube do seek it out he played a, a young fraud investigator there was a, a various fraudulent goings on in, in Portsmouth Robert Pugh who's been in Torchwood um, he, he played the, the, the other main character and I can still remember lines of dialogue from that show he, he, his opening line Peter Capaldi says he comes in and says ah this is Gotham City you must be Batman to which Robert Pugh replies who the hell are you he says I'm the boy wonder and you know so, <laughs> so this, this is somebody you really want to see in Doctor Who and, and Doctor Who fans know how good he was how good he was in Torchwood how good he was in the fires of Pompeii um, this man is one of Britain's greatest actors he's the first ever Oscar winner to play the Doctor albeit he won an Oscar as a director rather than an actor but he's a BAFTA winner um, and I did online the other week I, I did see a, um, a very ill-informed person say Here's an actor who has neither the depth or the range to play the Doctor. And I thought, if any actor has the depth and the range to play the Doctor, it's Peter Capaldi, who has spent his life waiting for this opportunity. This man was a member of fandom in 1974. You know, you wrote for fanzines and stuff. This is the role he was born to play. So, yeah, I think next year is going to be great. Um, it's, it's, you know, essentially going to be the same writers. If you like the, the last series on Matt Smith, I think you're going to like the new series. If you had some problems with it, I realise some people had, then possibly those problems are going to be the same, although it is a different Doctor. Um, but at the end of the day, as, as an old friend of mine, Alan Barnes, always used to say, whenever, back in the day when people used to compare Jonathan Turner's stories with Graham Williams, his answer was always, it's all Doctor Who. You know, that's what it says on the tin. So, you know, if you love Doctor Who, I think the next 12 months are going to be a period really to look forward to. Keith Teletopping, your actual Keith Teletopping. I must, I must say, actually, Keith Teletopping was a, a sort of a character that we created um, to do my local radio reviews. Um, and so I carried it on on the blog. And it's, it's a, he is a slightly exaggerated version of myself, <laughs> but only slightly. <laughs> Most of his views are also my views. So, yeah, your actual Keith Teletopping does sort of exist in a, in, a, in a corner of my damaged brain. Well, I appreciate you sharing your damaged brain with me. Thank you so much for your time. It, it's been a pleasure, Chip. Well, in a vital piece of branding synergy, I'm joined here on the Two Minute Time Lord podcast uh, by my friends uh, from Radio Free Scarrow, Warren Fry. Hello. And from the Incomparable podcast, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Chip. This is uh, very well-timed because I'm, I've appeared on a recent Doctor Who episode and a Babylon 5 episode's going to drop, so I've got uh, I've got to uh, promote my appearance there, get my... Th- tens of listeners to listen to The Incomparable. Jason, what's The Incomparable all about? It's a, I think what we say now is it's a weekly dive into um, pop culture with kind of a geeky slant. So we, we have no specific subject. We will bounce around between movies and TV and books and comics and games and other stuff like that, always kind of focusing on different works and uh, picking them apart. 
So recently, you've been gracious enough to invite me and Erica Ensign from Verity on to talk about Doctor Who a couple of times. When you do a deep dive into Doctor Who, how does your audience react? You know, it's funny. I, it's hard to say with a podcast. I, th- I think anybody knows that podcasting, uh, immediate feedback from podcasting is difficult. Um, you see some things on social media, you might get some emails, but it's kind of hard to tell. And even download counts can't really tell you because uh, most uh, apps that download podcasts download them automatically. So I think we've gotten um, a lot of enthusiastic response to talking about Doctor Who and uh, also a lot of people who are interested um, with that 50th anniversary episode that we did, interested in learning where to jump on, which I thought was really encouraging. We kind of pride the pump in that when the last couple seasons of Doctor Who aired, we've done these things we call the flashcasts, where after an episode or maybe you know a couple episodes air, we just kind of get online and do a really quick live breakdown of the episode. And we've never done that with any other show. And we've done that at the Christmas special uh, every year since we've existed. So I think... We've made it clear that we're a Doctor Who friendly podcast, but we I, I want I don't want to overdo it. <laughs> I was wondering, you guys, well, we're all nerds of a certain vintage. We all know the glory days of Star Trek. Have you guys seen that shift from Star Trek to Doctor Who? It seems to me there's been a, a palpable shift from one fandom to the other. I don't know. Um, Star Trek is kind of taking time off, right? It's 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 movie fandom is a very different thing, and and when you've got Doctor Who dropping all these episodes and. Um, it's active right now in a way that Star Trek as a movie franchise couldn't be. Star Trek, when it was really active, was not when the movie franchise was going, but when the movie franchise continued and uh, Next Generation started to happen. And once you're in somebody's homes every week, it becomes a much more active thing. I mean, we did an episode about Star Trek Into Darkness. That that was great. You know, I, I really liked it. We won't talk about about that Star Trek again for who knows how many right. years. So it, it, I think that's the big difference. We, we try to go back in the archive and talk about old Star Trek stuff too, and it's great. But it's not... It's not active in the same way that an actively produced TV series is. And Doctor Who is definitely active. Is Doctor Who the only one that the the Incomparable does flashcasts for? That's the only ones we've done the flashcast for, and that is entirely because of my enthusiasm of Doctor Who and the enthusiasm of my friends on the panel who uh, wanted to talk about it. But we, we did do a Sherlock episode uh, rapidly after those three episodes dropped because everybody was enthusiastic. Um, it's hard to find something that uh, enough people are enthusiastic about. And honestly, the more episodes are pr- that are produced in a, in a certain amount of time, I think the less likelihood less the likelihood is that you want to talk about it. Because with Doctor Who, at 13 episodes a year... Um, you can kind of break it down, and for a special, you can really break it down. But if you're watching every week for 22 weeks, like an American TV series, it's a lot harder to do that. Do you guys see, since you're observing pop culture, stuff going to a slow boil? Like, okay, this is going to be something that may possibly be a bigger thing about a year down the road? And if so, what do you think? The problem now is that people find stuff um, so asynchronously, so everybody's finding out about shows at different times. Like I discovered Orphan Black when it was airing on BBC America and really got into it, but other people missed it and then it wasn't available on streaming. And so they sort of made notes. And then I heard from some of them after it came back. I heard from some of them who downloaded it from BitTorrent. I heard some of them who discovered it when it got on streaming. I mean, these are, 
that's the hard thing now is when do you talk about something and when can you share your enthusiasm because it's all over the place I, I some of the people on on the incomparable are big fans of, of uh, the TV show supernatural and you know I haven't seen an episode so I've been trying to watch the first season on Netflix and and uh, you know I'm totally out of sync with them too so I think it's actually really hard to, to to find ways to sync up with fellow fans these days and I find that sometimes supernatural is a good example and even for me Sherlock there's so much fandom to begin with you don't know where to penetrate that wall you know what I mean so you just got it's almost intimidating in a way yeah and I think on on Doctor Who I discovered when we discussed the 50th was that Doctor Who definitely has that baggage I think a lot of people hear 50 years and think oh my god I have to watch 50 years of show in order to understand it and I wrote something um, and posted it on Tumblr a while ago that was sort of where to get started just because not that there aren't an infinite number of answers to that but because it's um, I wanted to demystify, and I think it turns out we need to do a better job as Doctor Who fans of of demystifying that and letting people feel like uh, they they shouldn't be afraid to dive in um, with Rose or with the Eleventh Hour, or we can debate any number of other ways to get them into it. But it's scary for them too. It's just we're on the inside and it's harder to see. But I feel that about Supernatural, and and it's worse because they say, well, the first season isn't that great, but you got to power through it in order to get to the second season. It's like, like wow, like what an investment you have to make in order to get into it. But I trust the people who say it's good so i'm gonna i'm gonna do it so what is it about doctor who that attracts your your cadre of generalist uh pop culture uh and geek culture fans that participate in the incomparable what is it about doctor who that's catching them at this moment that's a good question i think i think um i think they are largely people who've discovered it with the the new series and I think there's an inclination to like it because it's different, because it's got um, some kind of quirks to it that a lot of the, um, I used to say syndicated, now we would say basic cable sci-fi series kind of provide. It, it, it's, it's because it's British, because it's got this rich history and it's sort of a strange, I mean, no strange stranger to any Doctor Who fan, it's a bizarre half anthology, half continuing series format with all these different genres, um, as you talk about on the Two Minute Time Lord, you know, the genre machine concept, right? So um, I think that that is a lot of the appeal. And I think also it's a, a show of a kind that there there isn't a lot of on TV now. There's a lot of genre stuff on TV, but you know, strange planets and things like that are not as common as they used to be, mostly because it's really expensive. And, you know, I like Continuum on the Sci-Fi Channel. I think that's a nice show. It's shot shot in Vancouver and set in Vancouver, which is a rarity. Usually it's uh, Seattle-ish or Portland-ish, but it's actually in Vancouver. And uh, that's a great show. I enjoy it a lot, but it's a modern-day police procedural with time travel in it. It's not this fanciful, you know, crazy time travel and outer space and things like that. There aren't that many shows that do that. All the genre shows, most of the genre shows now are a little more mundane, as strange as that sounds. So I think that's part of Doctor Who's appeal to people who love genre stuff, is it is further out there. You could, you could even blame X-Files for that, because X-Files set up that template so long ago, and it's successfully and cheaply, too. So, including the Vancouver part for a while. Yeah. Doctor Who reinvents itself periodically, and that's helped keep it relatively fresh for 50 years, but it's waxed and waned over the time. Do you foresee a chance that a few years from now, your fellow panelists will get tired of Doctor Who and want to move on? What's the sort of stuff that might happen to this show? Or do you think that this one has legs in among uh, casual American Doctor Who viewers? I think as long as the show does keep 
reinventing itself, that it has a chance to have legs. I think the problem with any show, and genre or not, is that it gets old. And there's an old uh, Simpsons joke, so old that it was uh, it was Troy McClure who said it. But it's you know this. Who knows what adventures they will have until the series becomes unprofitable, and that um, that happens a lot in TV shows where it's the eighth and ninth season. Or you mentioned the X Files. You know they tried very hard to change things up, but the last few years just they were running out of ideas. They were running out of steam. And Doctor Who has done that too in the past. One of the nice things about this this uh, relaunch starting in 2005 is I feel like um, for various reasons, the exhaustion of the crew, the exhaustion of the actors, the exhaustion of the producers, they have turned it over a couple of times. Whereas if you look at Star Trek, like the next generation went on the air and essentially the same uh, continuous staff was involved for like 15 years. And it got stale, like at the end of the classic series where John Nathan Turner had been there a very long time and he had a template. And even though when they tried to change things uh, in the Sylvester McCoy era, it got a little stale. And so that's, for me, that's the big thing is that it, it, we need to see turnover. We need to see um, Doctor Who keep changing. And as long as it's got the courage to do that, I think fans will be interested in it. And you get new doctors and you the new doctors create new fans. And uh, that's great, too. I think Peter Capaldi will create a whole other generation of fans. And that that all is in that's the brilliance of Doctor Who is that it keeps keeps regenerating. And uh, it's a new show every few years instead of it being season nine of Supernatural. I think they, I think it just got renewed for another year. And it's like, wow, that is a lot of ghost stories. Yeah. The reason I wanted to ask you, Jason, is because we're here. We're here in this convention, surrounded by people dressed as Tardises. We're among, as our friend Simon calls them, specialists. Yes. You're a big Doctor Who fan, but the last question: if you could be semi-objective about it, how does Doctor Who these days measure up to uh, the other great and influential uh, genre TV? Well, right now, I think it's. I think it's up toward the top, and that's shocking to say in the U.S., but I think that the U.S. has embraced, um, with BBC America and with Matt Smith especially, the U.S. really embraced Doctor Who, and um, it's been on magazine covers. I mean, that that is kind of unbelievable, and uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. There aren't, there aren't a lot of choices. There aren't a lot of different things out there. I mean, something like Game of Thrones, I'd say, is the only thing that I would say has that much more pop, pop culture clout in a real genre show, and it's a very different, I mean, that is a, that is a fantasy show as opposed to a more science fantasy science fiction show so I don't know I, I feel like Doctor Who is on a roll now in the US and in North America and and that's great to see and and you know the a lot of the other big franchises are either asleep or they are fundamentally um, devoted to making as much money as possible as movies and that's something that Doctor Who is a TV franchise Star Trek has become a movie franchise Harry Potter is a movie franchise and I think having a TV franchise especially in this golden age of uh, you know sort of writer driven television where they've got decent budgets and great effects and the writers are in control being one of the leading lights of, of the genre right now on TV that's pretty powerful so I, I think Doctor Who has got um, has got a a lot of upside still. And Warren hears all this and still shakes his head in disbelief because he remembers the old days. I remember the old days when nobody cared and people said, I don't understand those accents. This is Canadian saying this, by the way. I don't get those accents. <laughs> all right. Jason Snell from The Incomparable. Warren Fry from a little podcast called Radio Free Scar. Thank you both for being on 2MTL. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this extended episode of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast. 
We're going to approximate two minutes next time. I hope you'll tune in. More episodes are at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter if you look for numeral two-minute time lord. And I will be back in a few days. Take care. <laughs>